Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Psychic on the Scene. Here with me, as always, the wonderful Michelle Lyons-Polito. Hey. And the wonderful Dee Scott. Yay! <laughs> and tonight's special guest, we're so honored, I'm very honored, Yay. to have my friend, uh, Harry Buffardi. And I'd just like to say a couple things about Harry. Harry, back even when nobody believed, Harry Buffardi believed. And Harry was a former... Sheriff, right? Deputy Sheriff for Schenectady County. Uh, sheriff of Schenectady County. Yeah. Sheriff. Of, okay, excuse me. And um, I was a deputy sheriff also, but he was a deputy. <laughs> okay, and you were with them for twenty six years. Thirty six years. Wow. Doing okay, good so far. I guess I know I'm doing great. <laughs> and then you, you did canine too, correct? I did. I did. I did canines along the career. I, I came to a point in my career where I didn't have to do canines any longer, but I like doing canines, yeah. so I continue yeah. to work with dogs. I uh, uh, I dogs quite enjoyed awesome. that. So tonight's episode, if you haven't caught on yet, is about the use of psychics on police investigations. And I, I first want to just tell our listeners that we will be talking about um, cases that we have worked on and are our theories on this. Um, but I will not be saying the specifics of the cases because many of them are still open. I won't say the names. And um, so we'll kind of just dance around that a little bit as we're talking uh, with Harry tonight. And I'm very excited. Um, also now, so tell us what you do now, Harry. Uh, presently, I'm a professor at Schenectady County Community College in the criminal justice program. I've been there for 11 years now. Wow, wow. that yeah. long? Yeah. Well, I've, I've actually been there longer than that. I was there for about 14 or 15 years when I was the sheriff. Oh, I didn't even know that. As I worked part time. Oh, I was an adjunct. I was an adjunct there, oh, cool. and then a full time vacancy came up, and I applied for it. And in two thousand and nine, uh, actually uh, late two thousand and eight, I got I got hired for the job. That's awesome. And you seem like you love it too. I I do. I do, and it's a way for me to continue a lifestyle that I lived for so many decades. <laughs> uh, I feel like I have knowledge to share. Um, I, I I think what I do is important. Oh, it, it, it is very important. And I've, I've been there and witnessed you with your students. So, um, and I know that they love coming to class and uh, usually standing room only when, when well, I come. Well, I have standing room only when I invite you to come to class to present to them. And find <laughs> very exciting and rewarding. That's exciting. Um, all right. So I want to go back a little bit of how I met Harry. And um, first I met Harry in my old incarnation when I still worked for the Chamber of Commerce and I was the Director of Membership and Resource Development, I was in a program through Schenectady County called Leadership. And in the courses of leadership, we would visit the jail. So that was mm. the first time that I met uh, Sheriff Buffardi. And uh, we went, you know, all th we went through the jail, which I actually had a psychic experience in the jail. I'm sure. And um, I actually, that was the first time, what happened was we had a large class and you, they broke us into two groups and um, we went down through the jail and they didn't take us in, obviously, the, the most restricted area. But as the gentleman was taking us around, um, he was talking and my mind kind of went on autopilot, which it often, often does. And I could see a man standing next to him that was a family member who had also served um, in law enforcement. So I was like, oh, his his like father, his grandfather's here with him and he's in uniform. And I started to, to open up 
was a big mistake. You don't open yourself up in a jail. And mm. immediately it was like uh, almost like from a movie. It was darkness like starting to come Just in. To and I had it. I wasn't as trained about closing the door and, yeah. and, and stopping it. <laughs> so I, I literally was like, no, no, no. So I had to stop it, and then it just went quiet. And I was at the end of that day. Um, I I talk about I don't know how those guys do and women do what they do there. I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. It the energy in there was absolutely like weighing on you. It even though we'd only been there for maybe five hours, it felt like twelve hours. Wow. It was a long day. Yeah, it's a very harsh, dark environment. It's there, intense. Um, as a jail should be. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, there's also people that work there that spend right. a third of their life locked up in jail also. Oh, gosh, right. I never thought of it that yeah. way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was, but so that was our, my first time um, crossing paths with you. And then I'm going to speed forward about, ooh, I don't know, two years later. And I wound up getting connected to a missing person case. Mm. And this person came in while I was having dental work done <laughs> and because um, we can never control when it's going to happen. And this young man started to give me information about his whereabouts and what exactly happened. So when I was... You mean the person in spirit? The person in spirit and what had happened with him. So it was still an open case. So I got back to my office and I had to go into a board meeting and I started writing everything down that I was receiving from this young man in spirit. I called my mother and father, and my father right away said, um, you need to contact the police. I said, they're going to burn me at the stake for being a witch. <laughs> they're going to put me in jail. <laughs> they're going to put me in jail. So it started a path for me in about 2006 of um, working with the detectives there and in that county and then um, connecting with Sheriff Fafardi. And he and I wound up working <laughs> a lot together uh, traipsing through the woods with his dogs mm. and um, working together. So I I want to thank you um, publicly on my show for not only believing in me, but starting me on a lifelong path of doing the work that I do. Um, and because of somebody like you validating me and working then after that with many other law enforcement, many other sheriff's departments because of you, um, I owe you a lot. A lot of what I do, I owe to you. Well, Aww. truly. Thank you. But <laughs> so. I also owe, owe a lot to you. I mean, you helped educate me into psychic readings and the abilities that you have, the abilities that others have. I'd, I'd worked with psychics before, but I guess I never really had an understanding of how that worked. The mechanics and, of it. Yeah. Yeah. And and <clears throat> oftentimes police operate in the present. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't kind of branch out until something takes them some someplace else. Um, you can kind of see in the future and probably more importantly, you obviously see in the past. Yeah. Correct. And you're able to link into the victimology of it. You yes. Have an understanding mm-hmm. and a sympathy for the victim. Yeah. Uh, and that that's that's a particular insight that all police officers don't share in. So it, help, it helps us um, reinforce what we do. The first time I, I think I sat with you, um, and I was giving you the information. You already knew quite a bit on the case. And you did something that changed how I receive information from spirit. And what you did was you weren't so much validating what I was getting because there was nothing. There was no way I could have known the things that I knew when I worked even with the previous investigator and then with with Harry. 
and I would say something and you'd go, mm-hmm. Just as that, like you were a- like asking a witness, they'd <laughs> like say, well, what time of day is it? And in my head, I'd be thinking to myself, he's got a lot of nerve asking me. And <laughs> spirit, the, the, whoever I was working with, would answer would me. Would answer. They'd say it was 3.15. And then they'd say, yes, that was the last time that the victim was seen, you know, walking towards the woods. So it... He helps you organize the way the information comes exactly. through. And then soon after... I read a book by a woman named Noreen Rainier, Mm -hmm. who is considered that she is the psychic detective. And uh, the name of the book was A Mind for Murder. Mm -hmm. And in this, as she gets information, she is able to control how she sees the areas. So if she is in one spot and you're seeing it psychically in your third eye or your mind, she can say to herself, take me up 20 feet, take me up at a bird's eye view. And since reading that, I have been able to do that in the cases that I've worked on. I can also now switch from victim um, to the attacker. Mm. And um, that gives me more, it doesn't give me sometimes the whole picture, but it might give me a tattoo on the arm um, and different things. Right. So probably one of the the most interesting parts was... um, I kept, I told Harry and the other detective working on the case, I kept saying, I see Easter, Easter time. And he was already in the woods. He was calling me from the woods. And he actually, as we're talking on the phone, the first part of it was, he goes, it's dead silent. And I go, are you still there? And he goes, Kate, I got to go. I just found, the dogs just found bones. Oh my goodness. And I was like, oh. Okay. okay, bye. So I remember standing there by the phone like, and what do I do now? What do I, okay, I'll just stay right here. Oh, just just go do your normal thing. I'll call you back later. It wound up being like an animal. Non-human bones. Right. But okay. the interesting thing about this is your information was absolutely spot on correct. Um, it was in the area where this person was last seen, near the area where the person was last seen. It was like two days before, I, actually it was, like two days before Easter it was the Friday before Easter. It was a good, yeah, Friday. good Friday. I was I was working that day, pursuing that day, looking in the areas which you had areas which you mm-hmm. had pointed me to. And you called and says I I can't get Easter out of my mind. And what I probably didn't tell you at the time is I was looking at a this is in the middle of the woods, and I was looking at a huge cross on a tree, sculpted out of chrome from a car, like oh a big goodness. cross. So as, as Katie's talking to me about <laughs> Easter. Easter, I'm looking at this huge cross. Which is the symbol and of Easter. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, as I'm looking at the cross and wondering why this cross is there and what, what you know, how did, how did Katie link into this? One of my dogs is uh, kind of rustling around the ground and I look down and he has a bone in his mouth. <laughs> it was really, oh. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah, it was, Dead uh, silent. <laughs> um and it, it happened to be, it wasn't, wasn't a human bone and the cross might or might not have had anything to do with the pertinence of the case, but the fact that you knew that there was a connection to Easter was spot on 100% correct. Mm, well, and, the, awesome. and then the next part of it was within two days, there was, and it was Easter weekend, there was massive flooding oh. in that area. And I almost think that spirit was trying to hurry us along purge, purge, to purge. get to that point of before the flooding happened because there was no way they could have known that that whole area and it was submerged for weeks afterwards, uh, afterwards and it brought up a lot of stuff from the river so any evidence 
would have been washed away or, or covered right. soon after. So it was that was another part of the timeline that they kept pushing the Easter, pushing Easter. So they, that's why they kept wouldn't leave you alone. Spirit. Right, wouldn't leave me alone. And, and I, I contacted uh, Harry while he was out in the woods Did with you, the dogs. Do you have any, Harry, like personal psychic experience? I mean, do you have abilities or um, have, did you see ghosts as a child or anything no, like that? No, but I, I, I think I have perceptions. Mm-hmm. I think any police officer has perceptions. Absolutely. Um, I, I've never seen it as psychic. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated with trying to figure out the way someone thinks or why they think in a certain way to commit a certain crime. I mean, it's certainly part of investigation. Yeah. Uh, I, I attribute it to reasoning because that's how we're taught in policing. Right. <laughs> and, well, we have to reason this out and figure this out. And there's a, you have to use inductive reasoning and deductive reasoning and kind of come up with research or evidence to support your conclusions. When in fact, a lot of the times it's based on perception or you have a certain inkling for something, your gut feeling for something. Most of the detectives and and police work that I, they'll they'll tell me off to the side, I had a gut sense Mm. or I had a feeling about going to that area. That's psychic. (laughs) And and it's truly empathy, like an empathy, um, maybe with the victim, or it has to do with... um, just sensing a certain area, like you're reading the area. So I think you guys do that a lot. I've also found in um, my life that women tend to be more perceptive than men. <laughs> How um, very kind of you to say that publicly. <laughs> no, it's 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 realistic. It's true. It's it's obvious. You know, we're we're us males are more simple creatures. You know, we we look at the immediate time <laughs> and the immediate pr- presence of where we're at, and you know, we want the remote, and if we're hungry, we want to eat. And don't pay a lot of, <laughs> that's it. We don't That's pay a lot of attention to a lot right of now. things. Right. But but for whatever reason, women tend to be more more observant about things and more in tune to perceptions than men do. I guess uh, it's a cultural thing or the way you're raised or you're wired wired differently than than we are. And I'm not saying that men can't be perceptive, but I I find it even with my wife. I mean, we'll we'll be at certain places and she'll have certain feelings about things or uh, certain instincts about things that I believe to be 100% true oh yeah um because she's been so valid and correct before mm, right. but she'll make observations about someone even if someone's appearance that i won't pay attention to i won't know what color shoes they're wearing or <laughs> i won't pay attention if they look tired or not and you know she is much more attuned to this than than i am even though we're both in a similar line of work oh, uh, right I, I have instincts but they're more blunt uh, i'm more of a blunt instrument than than she is more like an outline and she's like the stuff in between yeah i guess i'm in. looking to put my my I, I i always point towards data or evidence or where that's going to take take right. us rather than what my instinct is right um I, I probably would have been better if i paid more attention to my instinct than supported <laughs> by data afterwards well you know it, it's i think you're you're i think you're pointed to in law enforcement i think you are pointed towards data because of your gut you're dismissing a lot of other things and you're pointed towards the right data because of what your gut is telling you. Well, the, the other thing with, with any, any investigation, you will never have 100% of a conclusion no matter how much proof you have. There's right. always going to be parts missing or things that are inaccurate. 
And we were talking earlier about profiling. I mean, certainly profiling in law enforcement is a valid way to predict information, to find out sources of information, to predict who an offender might be or a classification of an offender might be. It's understood in law enforcement, but it's never been 100% effective, never been 100% correct. But there might be 50% valid points in the profile that point you towards an offender that will solve the case. Right. That doesn't mean they're 50% inaccurate. It has led to a case. And sometimes you don't know these things until it's retrospect, until it's over with, mm-hmm. until you point back at things and say, yes, this was correct all along. <laughs> right. Or this is what this meant. Or maybe that cross on a tree in the middle of the woods meant something to the case. Right. That you don't know at the time and place of what you discover it. Right. That you were led to that, that yeah. point. And it's it's been interesting being from this side, I will get contacted by different pla- different counties. And um, I had one um, detective say to me, if you ever tell anybody that we contacted you, I will deny it. We later became very good friends. <laughs> and um, But it's, I think it's more widely accepted now to say the words I, I feel or I sense this. I'm going to go more, even in your, your line of work. I, I, I never shied away from the fact that I received information from psychics or psychics participated in investigations. I consider it all information to be right. pertinent to an investigation. And as a matter of fact, I've seen many times where investigations, we oftentimes refer to them as cold cases, but unsolved cases that are very cold and there's not a lot of recent ev- evidence. And then a psychic will come in and bring evidence or bring some some uh, logic to the to the case and inspire or reinvigorate the investigation mm. to bring uh, uh, new energy to the investigation that as police officers might have sat back and said, well, there's nothing pointing towards that. So we'll go to another case. Right. Right. So, I mean, so for you, there was never a stigma. Of no. Having, so I think that's what makes you such a wonderful investigator because it's not like right, wrong, good, bad. It's just information and well, I, I wouldn't reject information from any source that I can get it from. That's, that's wonderful. A, that's, and that's a big part of this. And and I've said this when I've, I've spoken to Harry's students. Um, the use of psychics shouldn't be like on the television shows where, you know, she comes walking in, you know, like on Ghost Whisperer. And she's, <laughs> you know, all made up and, and, and she solves the case. The psychics don't solve the case. They assist with an ongoing investigation and they are utilized as a tool. It is mm-hmm. no different than if they had, you know, undercover people or whatever. That well, were- it's it's no different than a, than a profile or profiler come right. forward with information based on mm-hmm. uh, uh, techniques, based on inductive or deductive reasoning. Point to a profile of someone that you might look for, and much of that information is is going to be valid and help solve certain cases. Right. Exactly. Um, they they don't come out and say, okay, it was John Doe lives on one two three Main Street. They'll come out with profiles of who this person might be right if only we were that easy right, right. Yeah, then then we wouldn't be employed at all and you guys would be all doing all the right. law enforcement stuff. Just, get, just give us a taste as long as i could have the dogs in my car with me i'm good um in in the process of this do you have a lot of students now too that ask about that I find, uh, I've found, and I've brought in numerous speakers in various capacities into the classroom to talk about things, and um, universally, uh, 100%, they 
like your presentation the best because it's different. <laughs> it's different. It's something that that's uh, you don't read in criminal justice textbooks. You don't right. have a lot of information about this. And if you do, it's usually a media representation of what it might be like. Right. But to have have <laughs> somebody actually come in and talk to them about experiences and talk to them about cases, oftentimes cases in generalities, but the way you perceive things and the way you see things and the way you orient things, they find it fascinating. I, 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 of course, I love the first time I went into Schenectady Community College for Harry and his class. I was very nervous, not knowing how these students would perceive me. And I, you know, put out all my information and I started to speak and I said, does anybody have a question? And the room was packed. He said there was kids there that weren't supposed to even be there. <laughs> That's but, awesome. And the funnier thing was somebody tweeted in the classroom that I was there speaking and how cool it was. My son was on that person's tweet and said, that's my mom. And he was at Siena. So um, so I said, does anybody have any questions? And the first question out of the rip was from this great big lug of a guy sitting over to the side. And he raises his hands. And I said, yes. He said, do you believe that the eyes are the windows of the soul? Aww. I thought, how sensitive is that? I said, why, yes, I do, sweetheart. And that's one of the reasons why when I, if I have photos on investigations mm. or I do readings for families, I want to see their eyes so that I can read the person. And even recently, I spoke to an FBI agent and I said, oh, when I look at photos, I said, and I'm assuming that profilers are doing the same thing. I said, I can tell, you know, most of the time they're bipolar uh, just by looking at their eyes. Absolutely. And I said to her, is that a thing? And she goes, no. <laughs> I said, oh, I thought it was because I can do it like over and over again mm -hmm. looking at the photos. But and you can tell if they're living or deceased as well. Right, correct. Yep, photo. that's another part of it. I, I, th yeah. I think, for lack of a better term, ordinary people that do this stuff, like you can look at a person or talk to a person and really know if they're lying to you or if they're they're they're, they're being upfront with you or they're giving full disclosure. You can tell if a person's afraid or nervous. Mm -hmm. I mean, this I, I don't think it takes an extraordinary sense of of uh, the psychic ability to figure some of that stuff out. Right. Some of it's painfully obvious yeah. when, when when you just talk to someone. Right. So someone that's more in tune to that or has more ability, it's got to be magnified. I right. I kind of take it. it for granted, and you probably did that as well. But I take it for granted mm -hmm. that it's so apparent to everybody that I almost wouldn't mention it in in passing in the in the investigation that that person's lying that this that you know everybody sees that and they're like no why did you say that mm -hmm. so that's that's interesting when I spoke with your students that he was very in tune with that that was also the class where. There was a doubter up in front, and he said, well, if you're so psychic, take my hand. Mm -hmm. And I said, you want me to read you? And it, I did kind of like what I call the dead zone, if you've ever seen that movie. Yep. <laughs> and I said, sure, I'll take your hand. And you could see he started to get nervous. He started to get scared. <laughs> and I took his hand, and I started to read him in front of an entire room. Mm -hmm. And he goes, okay, that's enough. Yeah, <laughs> he took his hand away. I love yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Those are yeah. some of my favorite experiences. And you, you can only imagine how impressive this was to the students who knew that this wasn't, this was all real stuff that's going on. This is a cold, right definitely now. a cold reading. <laughs> right. uh, and it was obviously accurate by the 
uh, gasps of pride that he had when you <laughs> talked about his grandmother. His grandmother and his, I think it was the father being out of his life, yeah. that, that particular student. And um, he, he, was, he, when he took his hand, he goes, okay, that's enough. That's enough. You can yeah. freak me out. Um, I am fortunate because of doing the work with you. I have participated in probably over 100 cases now oh, in my wonderful. career um, where I've contributed with law enforcement. And many of the times, I, they contact me. Mm-hmm. I don't reach out typically to them. If I have had something, I use Harry as the barrier <laughs> in the past where I've said, listen, I don't know who you know in Saratoga or this area, and this is what I'm getting on this particular case. And he's like, oh, I know a guy. And he'll <laughs> call somebody, and then I'll get a phone call about an hour later and, um, and you know, give them the information. So in that capacity as well. It's been a tremendous help because obviously you validated me to your your colleagues, but um, I've also been able to run things past you that you've been like, you know, no, no, that's that's just crazy. But <laughs> most of the time you've been very supportive <laughs> for that. So do you have an idea? There was some, I was kind of Googling it on, on um, the internet. Any time is a good time to speak to a psychic on a case or... Do you have certain criteria if somebody reached out to you in the past on cases? Well, yeah, I did. I have had experience. I've had experience with um, so-called psychics that weren't accurate, that were uh, <laughs> overzealous, okay, uh, that were pushy, uh, that were interfering with investigations. And I think you know of one particular case where they were actually digging holes in public yes. property what? looking for a dead human being that wasn't there. It was oh. counterproductive to the entire investigation to do that. So um, they had to keep literally scaring this particular psychic off the the property. It was a public property yeah, too. It was a park. It was you a are park. kidding me. No. So they're and out there digging they, holes, and they yeah. were digging holes and saying like, "You must, you must get a backhoe in here." And you, yeah. oh, and there was no way that there was a body there. Oh there was goodness. no way. But they were they were convinced. And I, you know, that brings up a great point, Harry, is this, this end of my, the work that I do absolutely cannot have any ego. When I go in and I work, just like I said, I'm a tool for you guys. You, many times when you're sitting there and it is kind of scary that you're giving, they don't give me anything. They don't, many times they don't give me a name. They don't give me photos. I just start Mm -hmm. and I just start to go with what I'm getting. They won't confirm or deny. They just go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they might ask right? me more questions in a very, you know, calm, monotone. They'll say, oh, what time of day is it? Or um, what were they wearing? Were they alone? And then I will start to get the answers. But they don't do that like, oh, my God, you're responding. The only time was one case. He was funny. After I got all completed on the case, it was a long time. It was a murder case. And... Um, I get all done and he goes, is it appropriate to tell you what you got right? And I said, sure. Yes, please. Yes, please. And he said, okay, come around here. And he had me come around to his computer and he showed me photos of what I had described of when the body had been found out in a field. And um, he was able to validate what I saw and even the manner of clothing. I had seen red and thought it was a red jacket. And um, that was how the body was found. But in answer to your question, uh, would I contact a, a psychic? Yes. Yes, if I had 
valid, good experiences with the psychic. For example, and I've called I've called you a number of times. What do you yes. think about this? What's your feeling about this? Uh, um, because we've we've built up the type of relationship where we validate each other's work and uh, right. uh, we have an understanding about this. But uh, most often, uh, my um, working with psychics has been them contacting me. Um. Some of them. And in your case, you contacted me originally. Right. You had certain thoughts about this. It turned out to be, there was a degree of accuracy to it that was very valid. But there were other people on that same case that claimed to be psychics that were digging holes in public parks and acting right. crazy. That, that and, and my, you have to kind of like separate that out. Yeah. And when I do that, whether it was with you or other detectives, it's kind of the set it and forget it. If I give it to you, then I'm, my job is done. If you want to come back to me and tell me that certain things were right, my job is done. But mm -hmm. I don't do the ambulance chasing. And you don't keep calling, was I, no. was I right? And that's no. just not our place. The, the other thing you don't do, and I, I'm somewhat familiar with this with other psychics, that uh, they've worked on investigations, the investigations have been solved, and then they would attribute the solving of the investigation 100% to the value that they gave to the oh, investigation. Boy. You know, that they would take so credit for solving the case independently. <clears throat> no. I... I absolutely would not do that i in fact i know on on the cases you and i have worked on and other cases that throughout the capital region whether it was missing person or a murder case i have validated information that was not given to the public that wasn't on the news there was no possible way i could have known it that the detectives have held back so when i've said a name mm -hmm. a location that's in their file, it's it's basically to say, okay, then she's legit. <laughs> right. And let's uh -huh. give her more to look at without giving her too much. And then again, I walk away because I figure that's that's my job mm -hmm. having this gift to to hand that over and that's I'm out of it. I'm just you know And don't you think it is a gift that we want to share? Because I've always thought that um losing a loved one, um it's just got to be the most horrible experience and if, any way that we can help and especially with the person who's missing it that's just got to be a living hell right and so it's just about mm -hmm. helping and bringing peace and right not about us right no all. ego absolutely no ego any way i can help with that you know it's it, it's fascinating to do that work or you know though i will tell you um many times i wound up in the back of Harry's truck while he drove in the front and I was in the back where the dogs had been and got out reeking of canine and thinking it is not at all glamorous as people it's not think. like on TV. And, and traipsing around in the rain. We had more than one where it was like freezing rain and we were out yep. there and floods and, and areas and it was and oh, it was gross. We And he had wanted to get, he really, you wanted to get the uh, equine. You wanted to get horses in yes. because to cover more area, cover more ground, yeah, mm. which would have been terrific prior to that flood. But it was it was muggy and gross oh. when we first started, and then it just like carried through the seasons of working there, and uh, just interesting. And then I got contacted when I was down in Louisiana um, about what they thought was um, a serial. It was a friend of yours, a serial attack where they were um, leaving markers. Um, and oh. it was somebody that you knew and the son had been killed. The smiley face, Mark? Yes, yes. I wasn't going to say it, but oh, yes. Um, that's a terrifying. But marker. I didn't know yet about that. They hadn't disclosed that on the news. 
And I believe I told him, I said, I keep seeing a marker. It's a gang related. Uh-huh. And I said, I keep seeing markers. And they had already had that in the investigation with that around the, uh-huh. the bodies. Oh the, there's another case, local case. It's about 40 years old. And as I start talking about it, you'll know what I'm talking about, that you developed information some 40 years after the case with a living relative that remembered something from her childhood. Yes. And you were able to point to information that... Um, you just gave me chills. Well, okay. <laughs> That's... Uh, a, it was... It, it's, you probably do that before I did that. <laughs> it was connected to um, a local... What we, they think is a local serial killer. Oh. And it's connected to a way that the, um, the perpetrator, who it's believed to be, that was identified mostly through Katie's ability to unite with a living relative um, that the uh, this perpetrator is dead. So this case will never be solved. Right. But will never publicly be solved. Correct. But uh, And will never be given credit for the fact that you participated in bringing closure to that case. Right. But in fact, you did. Oh, that's... No. See, I get sometimes when I talk with you, I don't know about that, but he knows. And then he'll tell me later, you know, you can talk about that or that, you know, you were a part of that. And I think, oh, I handed that off. You didn't realize. I didn't realize, but that was a pretty involved, very mm-hmm. involved case and um, very creepy. But it was a person that had the ability, and I had said this, to go from state to state. And they were doing oh. work um, in different areas. Mm-hmm. And when they were, they were committing committing crimes. Yeah. They were murders. And um, this family member was aware of it. And, wow. and I wound up reading for the family member and then contacting Harry because I was a little overwhelmed <laughs> like, with the information. Information uh, for you. <laughs> yeah. That's one of those ones that's kind of a freak out moment. So I have a question. Have you ever had a serendipitous moment in an investigation? And I know it's probably a weird question, but we're psychics, so I'll ask it. Where you um, where you feel that perhaps the deceased is assisting you mm. in solving their own murder? I I don't, I don't know. Oh, I don't know because there's been often times mm-hmm. that I have felt there's been clues. Mm-hmm that were obvious and I know we always talk about uh, you know you can look in the eyes of a dead person and they will be the window to their soul and tell you who did it and, right uh, yeah. uh, nothing as dramatic as that but I've certainly had evidence left behind from people that have been deceased Ooh, that have led, that led to conclusions wow. that have uh, led to that led to that um, so in a sense they helped to solve their own and I murder. think too even you seeing those clues it's it winds up being a flag for you, like a whisper mm. that somebody is saying, pay attention to that cigarette, to whatever it is on those investigations that it leads you to the bigger answer. I, I, just, I just don't believe that the universe doesn't do that because other people aren't seeing that, but you see right, it. Right, right. So, in answer to your question, I, I don't know, but maybe. Okay, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and I'm saying yes. Um, oh. I want to just kind of describe to our listeners, when I do work on um, cases, how I, I do the process. Because it's a little bit different than when I just read people one-on-one or I do shows. Um, I'm 
fully open. So what does that mean? I allow all information to come in and I'm willing to give all of the information. And I'm always asking, obviously, God and the universe um, for me to to do my very best and to have um, clarity. So in doing that, the second I start to work with the detectives, I work very hard not to read them when I go to a location, not to read their bias or not to read what they already have predisposed in their minds about a case. I basically like the facts, only the facts, ma'am. I try (laughs) to just, without embellishing it, give them markers that I'm seeing, smells. I might smell something. The one case I worked on, I could smell oil, or excuse me, gasoline. And it was very, very strong. I could hear railroad tracks. I kept seeing the letter D. It turned out it was a downtown Albany warehouse. And the door that we wound up going through, there was right above it a large letter D. But there was a gas leak down in that area that is pervasive, that a second you get out of your car, you could smell the gasoline everywhere. But I couldn't understand it. I was thinking maybe it had to do with the motor with a vehicle, but it was all in that area, known in that area. So I take in every single thing, whether it's a sign, numbers. I ask to, again, switch uh, perspectives and even raise up my perspective to give these on the cases. And the best part is, I will say now to the detectives, keep asking questions like you're grilling me. And, um, you know, that actually helps me because I can hear things and then it changes the view. Mm for the person and even like where are they now and where did they go where did they start you know I might get two phones I might be seeing both my hands with a phone in it and I'll say to them they had two phones and you only found one and they'll say yes we know now that they had they were involved in drug use or selling drugs and they had two phones and I'll say the other phone has the information on it so things that are not in my normal world Mm -hmm. But I can see those or I can feel it. And I can actually sometimes feel the emotion. Like, did they know the person? And they were relaxed when the person, you know, joined them in this certain location. I will feel like, oh, no, like I'm not threatened at all. Other cases, the one Mm. that we initially worked on was immediately a a feeling of a threat. Yeah. And it was, I could see more than one person. So that's how I go through my process without embellishing. I might hear talking. I might hear a name. I might see partly of clothing. Um, I, if I ha- go into the part where they are hurt or murdered, mm-hmm. I do feel it, but I more see, like almost like you're watching an episode of True Crimes or right. one of those on television, or I see it like a news heading. So I, I can convey that to them. There are some psychics that feel the attack mm-hmm. on the body. Mm-hmm. I don't go through that trauma, blessedly. Did you teach yourself to? to back I off must that part? have learned it as a child to not take that in, um, mm. because I don't. I don't get that, like the attack feeling. Though I will tell you, I don't dream um, very much about other people's dead. But whenever I work on cases. Mm-hmm. Every night after or before, I dream about the victim and being in the... It's almost like I don't disconnect from it, Mm -hmm. and um, I wind up having more information, and I feel like I'm still walking in the woods with the detectives or wherever. Don't you think they see you as a lifeline in a sense? I I agree, yes. I think that's... Yes. I've had um, a couple of uh, 
there'll be people that you know are, are murdered in the area and i'll see it on the news and i'll i'll feel that that blip and when i feel the blip i know that they see me <laughs> and then they're connected and then i tend to dream about them um fairly regularly and i had to really work hard to disconnect from feeling what happened to them because that was terrifying and that started when i was a little kid watching the news and so that's i stopped watching television until i could figure out a way to not feel that yeah i must have just it was a self-learned thing one of the cases um that you had connected me with the detectives um in saratoga i had them meet me at my mother and father's house in rotterdam mm -hmm. and I started to give the information to the two men. And as I was giving the information, I said she was stabbed. Again, not revealed on television or on the news. I said she was stabbed. I said, I want to say 22 times, a fatal blow in the back. And the next words were, okay, Mrs. Hilton, now we have to take your deposition. I went, okay. Oh, no. I don't know what I had said, but um, then they had to take my statement. My father... Who's you know the marine? He knows he knows Harry. <laughs> he leans in and goes, "Is everything okay?" I'm sweat. I had a suit on. I was sweating under the suit. I go, "Yeah, everything's okay." <laughs> if I get taken out of urine handcuffs, you know, just follow. That's an interesting perspective because whenever you're doing an interview or trying to obtain a confession, intimate details about a case that no one would know other than the perpetrator and the victim would be very important. Right. Couldn't be made up. But if you know that information as a third party <laughs> that there is some kind of implication there right that we would have to be cleared a hundred percent then that uh, there was a couple of funny moments during that even as scared as i was the younger detective was taking the statement and he, so i start from the beginning again and i say she says she got into the car so he says now who's telling you this i go the girl he goes what girl i go the girl that was murdered he goes, he turns finally to his supervisor and goes, how do I write that down? How do I put that in a statement? So I thought, oh, that's a you thing. Like, that's all on you. So I kept, and he, they kept trying to reword it as they were yeah. taking the statement. The victim, yeah. And then at one point, they were both leaning over the page. And I looked up at the senior detective and I said, prostitution? You think she was a prostitute? And he goes, we just found that out today. He goes, she's reading our mind. Clear your mind. <laughs> like, God, that's it was hilarious. So funny. But um, they Good actually, mind. they were, they wound up being wonderful and they wound up getting the map for me. And I, I will ask sometime for a locational map mm -hmm. once I, I get into it a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, but, and they, they let me go through that. But it was, it was interesting that he got, you know, he said, now we're going to take your statement. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> a little scared <laughs> just thinking that I'm going through I and as I said before before I was on the radio there are times where I have actually one of the cases I actually think I may have sat with the murderer and Ooh. I was giving the information um, to the family and I truly think that the killer um, was trying to test my savvy and how much um, they were going to write get and uh, yeah I, I sat with the person that was I got out of there and as soon as I did I was like oh my god that, so. that's when you say that's just an icy cold feeling yes when you're sitting with a person who's done something like that right it's just like lack of light lack of right everything it's like the cold void of space they were able to switch personalities Ugh. 
Gotcha. So um, that was part of, I think, their MO, that they had left the killer personality away for a while. Mm-hmm. But I was still seeing that. And all of a sudden, it, the realization was like, oh, God, it's you. Oh, God, it's you. And I got out of there, and I was shaking. Mm-hmm. So there is a little bit of that. And as well as, as I said before, on the prior to getting on the radio that I I worked on a case that I gave information to the family. I work sometimes with families that contact me and I gave them the information. And as soon as I said it about the father's murder, I thought, oh boy, I, that probably wasn't a good call. I could get into a lot of trouble for that and, and may have somebody show up my, my doorstep, but thankfully nothing happened. (laughs) <laughs> God bless. <laughs> Nothing happened. Um, Harry, when you said you worked with other psychics, is there uh, is there method different than how like you and I work together, where I kind of see the whole story and I tell you the story or the vision that I see? Every psychic tries to tell a story. Ah. And explain the circumstances and try to relate it to people that don't have that ability. I once worked a case. um, It was an arson case, uh, which a psychic told. uh, And there there was virtually no evidence left in the case. It was consumed by fire. There was no physical evidence left. There was no suspects. And he described that um, the case would be solved, that it was going to be a person that was driving a blue pickup truck Ford with a gun rack in the back. He's very specific about it. And he says, and you will hear this information from a female. Hmm. And sure enough, about a year later, a female comes forward, gives information about this arsonist. Um, no one else was interested in it. Didn't, didn't seem like it was too valid. The first thing I did was check motor vehicle records and the person had a blue Chevrolet pickup truck. Oh, wow. I did surveillance yes. and saw a gun rack in the back. Holy and then God. all of a sudden it started to like uh, kind of fit together. <laughs> One thing led to another and um, he was developed specifically as a suspect and it led to the conclusion of that case based on the information that the female brought forward. Uh, and she was very much in danger about bringing that information forward. So we wow. had to find our information and tailor it in such a way where it wouldn't look like she had flipped him in. Right, right. So it was a successful case. Um, uh, in this particular fire scene, he was walking through the ashes and rubble of a fire scene, and he said there's multiple points of origin of this fire. So the fire investigators were able to locate hydrocarbon fuel residue in various parts of the fire location to know that it was, in fact, an arson. Oh, wow. uh, but wow. it was the psychic that said it uh, initially. The other thing that was interesting about this is I was working with another, I was, I was a younger investigator at this point, and I was working with an older investigator who was in his early 50s and his wife had just died a year or so before. Mm-hmm. So we get done with the case and we're having lunch with him or coffee or something someplace and uh, the psychic tells the older investigator, he says, you'll be married again. Mm-hmm. He says, oh no, that's that's <laughs> not true. Or, you know, that, that, that would never happen. He says, oh yes, you'll be married again. And he says, matter of fact, you're gonna have another child. Wow. Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, not too many years after that, he got remarried and did have another child. Wow. That, I thought, this is, this is really valid stuff that we're, <laughs> that we're getting here. Um, and I, I don't think that's something you can 
quite make up about a person. Oh, no. I mean, it's not like something you can sit back and say, well, I, I, I have an inkling that this, you know, I, I guess if this other investigator was 30 years old, you might say you're going to be married again and have another child. But under the circumstances of, of uh, uh, how his this age. was laid out with yeah. his age and his relationship with his wife who had passed away, you would never suspect that that would happen. Right. And in fact did. Wow. I was um, on a, a radio show uh, years ago when I first started doing this professionally um, and the name of the show it was on 1300 AM radio and it was Rick Howland and he would start the show this is Rick Howland the Iceman and it was all cold cases in New York and he worked with all different kinds of detectives and he had them on the show and once a month he would have me on cool. working on the cases and the first time I met him, he basically wanted me to impress him. And we met at a diner, and he had a file. And I, I did not know that he was recently widowed. And I said, there's a woman standing next to you. It's your wife. And I said, and you will be getting married again. Same, almost the same thing. So it just reminded me of it. And he said, that's impossible. He started to cry. He said, that's impossible. She was like the love of my life. And I said, no, she doesn't want you to be alone. And she's sending you this person. Well, lo and behold... Within like a month of us doing the show, he met this other woman and he fell in love a second time in his life and um, wound up marrying her. So it was, um, you know, kind of a a bittersweet because I think he spent more, you know, after that he didn't have the radio show as much anymore. So, um, yeah, he was he was, you know, busy being happy again. But um, just that I don't mind um, a healthy skeptic, an open minded skeptic. I think that people, and especially in law enforcement, or like in that case, the you know he was with the radio working on cases. I think it's important to be a little uh, guarded or mm-hmm. skeptical until it's proven to you. Mm-hmm. And um, so I have no issue with that. But I thought that was the same thing. It was interesting. So, um, what else? Do you have any questions, D. Scott? Mm-mm. No. Oh. No. <laughs> So, um, have you ever dreamt about a case? That was the other question I had oh, for you. Oh, I've, I've been haunted by cases. Oh, actually. have you? Yeah, really? Yeah. I'm, I, I'm, oh. I'm, I'm still haunted by a case that occurred 45 years ago. Oh, really? That was declared to be a suicide, and I'm convinced it was a homicide. And not so much that I have psychic abilities as a homicide. I just thought it was a case that was very badly handled, and all the evidence pointed to another direction. And the case kind of got written off, and forensics weren't what they are today, and right. uh, uh, techniques weren't what they are today. Uh, There's a family member that I had as a suspect, and um, I wanted to interview uh, this person, and I was a, a, a young member of the the, uh, the sheriff's office at the time, and I was told, "No, you can't interview him. That this this person is a parent of this child would not possibly have done this." Wow, oh, and it's a child. They probably the. That probably bothers you even more. Well, it wasn't a young child. It was a 17-year-old child. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm convinced it's a, a homicide. And I think about it frequently. I dream about it. Oh. Wow. And when you dream about it, do you dream about questioning that person? Or do you dream of yourself still in that investigation? I, the well, the... the, the the investigation was horrific. I don't want to give too many details because it right. would actually point to the case itself, but it was a horrendous death. Oh, God. Um, 
that um, I'm, I'm convinced was not, not a suicide. And there was a perpetrator that was a family member. Wow. Um, and in today's world, this person would have been interviewed and interviewed in a difficult way, would have been asked difficult questions. Where were you? What happened? Mm -hmm. Will you take a polygraph? It'll be asked those pertinent pointed questions. But back then, um, we didn't, we didn't do that. Well, you and know, it was if a parent lost a child. It was just presumed like, Oh, you know, let's, let's leave them alone. Let's back off. Right. And it was, it was small town. I think sometimes there's a small town <clears throat> thinking back. I had, um, a group of ladies I went and did reading for and she showed her and her her sister I think or her aunt showed me a photo and it was a photo from it's probably right after Kennedy was assassinated the family it was that kind of a family unit and the mother was dressed in a uh, pink suit very uh, Jackie O looking with the kids on either side and I believe there was three children in the photo and as soon as I, even though they were smiling, I knew it was Easter. And as soon as I looked at the picture, I said, all murdered, all killed. And I, uh, this is local. And I looked at her and I said, they were all killed. And the two of them started to cry. She said, we're trying to get this case reopened. She said, it was believed that the mother had killed everybody in the family. I said, no, she did not. I said, in fact, when they found her, she was face down and shot in the back. And they said, yes. But because it was the area that it had been investigated was small town, and the husband was a person of influence, mm -hmm. and his family had influence in that area, um, the irony of it was, I said, this is going to be opened up again. You're going to be able to get some answers. The coroner was still um, alive from wow. the case and still had personal records from that he must have had an a inkling feeling, yeah. that something with it wasn't right and he was able to give it to the family so in some ways even though it wasn't the whole part of the case wasn't completely changed but in some ways it gave the family some closure and some peace as to what they had always suspected about the the mother in the photo and um very you know obviously traumatic but it was it was interesting because it was that small town thinking. And, you th and, and nowadays we think that would never happen. I mean, I'm sure it does, but it was so different back then. Yeah. So different um, how they, they determined any of the sciences of it. And it's still evolving. It's still. Yes, it is. You know, is it? Now, you said profiling is not admissible in court. No, because it's only an opinion. It's a, oftentimes a shared opinion. I did oftentimes not know that. there's. Well, it, nothing is pertinent to be introduced in court until it can be s substantively identified by evidence. Right. So, mm -hmm. to, to say that it's that it's not introducible in court does not mean it's not valid or it's not correct. Right. Exactly. Uh, it's certainly an important part of investigations, uh, particularly uh, critical investigations like serial homicides or things like that. Uh, that they look for crime signatures to be able to tie people together. Mm -hmm. um, that, that it's it's a field of study, but uh, it's a generalized field of study that will mm -hmm. point towards indicators uh, of people's involvement or the type of people that might be involved or maybe uh, uh, the age and sex of a person that might be involved. Uh, and it's based on inductive and deductive reasoning. Right. Some of the inductive reasoning is based on what's happened in the past, who's done these types of crimes mm -hmm. before. For example, if you have uh, um, a murdered spouse, um, the 
inductive reasoning would be we're going to consider the significant other mm. to be a person of interest because this happens so frequently. Right. Right. It doesn't right. mean that they did do it, but we're not going to clear that person. We might not even tell that person they're a person of interest, but we're going to look into it before we expand it out to other forms of that. Uh, if you start developing evidence that that person just took out a life insurance policy <laughs> on the person that, that right. was just written out, now you have more deductive yeah. reasoning to be able to fit this stuff together. But uh, uh, certainly none of that stuff is, is um, um, going to be allowed into court unless there is a way to establish a probable cause or a definition of evidence or some nature of it, even if it's circumstantial nature of it, to do it. But you can't take generalizations and, and make them apply. Right. A polygraph is not uh, valid in court. However, it's a useful part of policing. It's, a, uh, it's an important interrogation tool, if nothing more. It's used to screen police officers and federal agents that right. come on the job. It's considered mm. to be quite reliable, even though it's not introduced in court because it's not 100% reliable. And if I had not said it before, um, the use of a psychic or the information from a psychic is not admissible in court. Um, probably would get it thrown out of court <laughs> if they said, "Well, Katie, the psychic came in and said." Yeah. So yeah. I so I I know that I worked on a case um, that uh, was a brutal rape and a murder as a result of it, and um, I went and worked with the DA's office, and I gave them the information, and we went to a location, we, and everything I wound up saying to them wound up being true. And um, the person was later convicted. And every time the one detective kept saying to the DA, that's just what Katie said. And they said, and you can mm -hmm. never say that publicly. Mm -hmm. And then something else would come up and they go, that's just what Katie said. And you can never say that publicly because they were so afraid of how the turn of the case would, would go. But investigatively, the information that you would give might be quite important to right, lead to a conclusion of the case itself. Uh, because you have a perception of something doesn't mean you were a witness to it. You didn't see anything or hear anything in the present right uh, atmosphere mm -hmm. um, um and you know all, all psychics might not agree on the same points right or they see different things exactly yeah. so which one are you going to take but if I you take it collectively it. and help towards an investigation or uh, energize your investigation to lead to a certain conclusion that's all good i think it's for myself it's easier working um on cases with law enforcement because it is so black and white so that I can right, and I, it's organized, and I um, I kind of take the empathy out of it. If I work with the family or the family is present, I immediately feel them, the emotions, yeah. uh, their emotions, and it makes it ch more challenging in that you know obviously uh, emotional state to try and do that. So it's actually easier to work from the other part. It's almost like wearing blinkers like a, a racehorse so you can just see right down the, the center with right. It, right without all the other information right because you do you pull in so much empathy but it's it's much easier because i'm just giving the black and white facts and i can obviously i, I feel for it if it's a child because i am a mom mm -hmm. but it's it's a little bit different how i get the reasoning and the and the information that mm -hmm. i'm getting it's not i don't have to change anything and as i said there's times when there's somebody in the room who is a part of the case um, that oh, probably yeah. should be more closely scrutinized that even the, like say it's a mother that calls me in it might have been the father that did something to that that missing child 
I can feel almost like a guarded, like there's something mm-hmm. stopping, like not everybody is open. The shield is and open. And it's not until later I find out like, oh yeah, he had something to do with it. But that might lead me to a conclusion also. If you right. were, a, let's say there was a mysterious death of a child in a household and a mother and a father were there, if the mother called you for a reading, I would immediately think of the father as the person who did it. Oh. Really? Sure. Why would a person take the chance to invite someone in who might know about this and expose them. I never thought of it that wow. way. Because I it, thought it's of it 50-50, it's gonna be one of... or the other. This child died in the custody of two people. Now, is wow. that proof? No. no. Uh, is that evidence? No. Is that admissible in court? Not until I get some substantive proof that I can bring in uh, uh, mm. to introduce that. I How? never thought of it that way. That's why he's the that's right. That's why. That's why he's he was successful in the cases that he worked on. Um, or the other thing, like like I was talking about polygraphs. If I if I if I if I was investigating a missing person case, that the last person seen with them was a parent, and I asked that parent to take a polygraph, and they said no, I want a lawyer. Mm. Oh, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> it's going to lead to some. Mm-hmm. Not, it's not admissible. Can't be used in court. But certainly the reaction. Uh, to that is going to be important to me and how I'm going to proceed with that case. Right. I have also found, which is kind of my, it's a strange thing with working with detectives, if they, in the middle of my interview, take a call on another case, my antenna goes to the other case. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I start to give information in regards to, uh, you know, a body that's been found, uh, whatever. And that to me was something I would never have known until I sat there. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like it's somebody's switching the, the radio dial. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. Now we're going to talk about this one. And um, it, it's it just because I have no control over it. And that polygraph information is actually a case that you worked on that I'm relating to. Yes. Um, <laughs> that we, we won't be specific about, but you you had a certain read for it. Right. And I think it was validated when um, when a parent was asked to take a polygraph and they said, no, absolutely not. I want a lawyer and moved out of town. Oh, gosh. I mean, these are all <laughs> points of, of I mean, you started off with the information saying, no, it's this particular person. Right. And that was, that was actually what I was just thinking of when I was called <laughs> in. I, I felt like there was a barrier. And that was the, the particular case. I was thinking case. of it too, so maybe we can. Yeah, it was yeah. reading your mind. That could have been. So, <laughs> Clear your I was mind. thinking of that, and I, I thought of how it just seemed, uh, the rest of the family seemed very engaged with me, and he walked in, and when he did, he was, it was almost like he was purposely trying not to make eye contact with me and shutting down his information. And I thought, okay, this is a parent of a missing child, so you, I cut them some slack. And, but then the next part of it, I thought, no, Mm-mm. something with this doesn't read right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that spot on. Wow. So, um, Harry, I appreciate you coming in. Is there any last thoughts for, you know, people uh, yeah. that are, you know, on, on the cases or, you know, I, I, I do. Yes. So if, um, in my former occupation, uh, I yes. was involved in policing, and I relate this to other police officers. If you have any ability to help figure something out to solve a crime, why would you reject the use of a psychic? 
Right. If there's a potential for being helpful. Yeah. Doesn't right. mean you have to take the information. It doesn't mean you're not going to validate the information that's given to you. I mean, any way you can get any type of information to be able to search out the, uh, an investigation, I, I think, is, is, is an obligation to follow up on. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you, I, I love seeing you, and uh, <laughs> and thank your wife for letting you out. Oh, <laughs> I was trying to convince her to, 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 to come tonight. Oh, she should have. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe, maybe we'll have you back on, and we'll have on uh, the other podcast with uh, Phoebe. And uh, we can talk about some other cases. Maybe Nancy will come then. Yes. I'd and, love it. And I think she's very psychic, by the way. I think oh, she is too. Bring her, you bring said her. that before because I'm she's convinced. validated things Absolutely. that I've said. Absolutely. And she's already had the feeling or had the psychic impression. Absolutely. So when she's the best I, of both worlds. Yeah, she's the yes. best of both worlds. Yes. And she yeah. gets hairy. Even personal <laughs> even personal things in the household, I said, like, what do you think? And I'm interested in what her opinion is because she's always right. Oh, geez. That's great. Well, guys, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. And um, it's wonderful uh, meeting you, Harry. You know, we'll we'll be back again uh, on the 18th, and we are going to have um, Helene on, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, kind of attracting prosperity and things like that on the next show. And mm. also a shameless plug uh, for the listeners: we still have tickets available for my Rivers Casino show, and it looks like we might be continuing with uh, Ghost Wranglers. Mm-hmm. As a group here, so we're going to be looking for so some exciting. more. Uh, cap- it won't be ghost wranglers. It won't be ghost wranglers. It'll probably be psychic on the scene um, <laughs> investigations. And when is your show? Oh, my show at the Rivers Casino. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Thank you, Dennis. Um, <laughs> it's November 12th. Tickets still available. Please, please, uh, you know, take a look. As well as the trip to Ireland. Um, there is a chance that somebody might listen to this after your show. <laughs> Oh, right. They go, oh, shit, the tickets are gone. <laughs> oh, oh, I missed the show. <laughs> oh, you missed the show. Hence November the 12th. Yeah, there you go. November 12th. Thank you. And then the trip to Ireland as well. So, um, And then we'll have more information about the uh, ghost investigating yeah, uh, throughout so the Capital Region. If you have places that you want us to see, uh, uh, investigate, please, please let us know. Comments. Message us. Yes. Message All right. Katie. Leave me alone. Message <laughs> me. Yeah. D. Scott doesn't check his, his uh, messages. <laughs> so, guys, thank you again. Appreciate it, Michelle. Oh, this and, is awesome. And uh, we'll see you all again soon, or hear you all soon. <laughs> Cut it off.